Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm so grateful for this morning. I, Lars basically stole my entire introduction, so that was good. Uh, he really did. I didn't tell him what I was preaching on, but I'll, I'll explain it in a moment. His... Um, just thank you, Lars Tennyson, for sharing, because uh, that was very much of exactly some of the same things I was going to say in my intro. Um, and then uh, just the worship this morning, just so encouraging uh, to come into the house today of, of God and to praise Him. So just, just my heart is full already. So Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse 41. We're going to be reading and focusing on verses 41 through 47. We looked at uh, really Peter's sermon last week. In Acts 2, the middle portion there. Let's look at uh, Acts 2, verse 41. This is at the very end of Peter's sermon that he preaches. And he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe, or fear, came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and all had uh, all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we come before you today and we just ask a blessing upon this message on your word that is being delivered today. As has been prayed, would you, would you speak through me today, but God, would you open our hearts, all of us, to be filled with your truth to push back the darkness that is all around us and within us, God, that you would bring your light into our lives and expose that evil and purge it out, Father, with your spirit and open up new pathways, Lord, new ways for life to come pouring into someone here today. And for us who believe, help us to have our faith kindled this morning. Help us to be able to look at your scripture today as a little bit of a mirror for ourselves be able to see how, how we measure up, Lord, and how, God, you are making us uh, perfected in your sight, and you are perfecting us each and every day. And God, build your church, build your kingdom. Thank you for Hope Fellowship Church, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is um, the message entitled, Just the Early Church. This is called The Early Church. Today, we're looking at a portrait, a snapshot of the very fledgling beginning beginnings of the early church, what we know as the church today. And so we're going to be looking at some key elements of that today. There are notes sometimes when you come in in the lobby, paper notes and questions that can go along and you can help follow along or online if you can access it. Um, your, there's uh, these notes online in the online bulletin and you can follow along some of those major points. But we're really looking at this snapshot today. We've been going through this book of Acts and Acts is, is really, as a reminder, just it's Luke part two. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote uh, part two of the Gospel of Luke, which is the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or the actions and the words and the doings of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit in his apostles, setting the foundation for the church to be built. That's a long definition there, or a long title, but that gives some of the sense. Acts 2 is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied from the Old Testament. 
Peter eventually just says, this is happening in your midst. What Joel in chapter 2 prophesied would happen is happening right now. On the day, the 50th day after Passover, Pentecost, Passover, Jesus goes uh, to the cross, is crucified and rises again is what we celebrate on Easter. 50 days later, we have Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, this harvest celebration that would have been in the Jewish calendar, and God sends his spirit on that day to highlight this reversal of Babel. This, instead of a scattering of nations and languages, there's a unifying of the nations at one location there, the temple in Jerusalem, And there is a unifying of languages as it is spoken out where everyone hears the same message in their own tongue. Incredible. It's an amazing work of God, preaching the mighty works of God. Then Peter stands up as the spokesperson on behalf of the group, and he preaches a message that's a killer sermon, right? 3,000 people turn, and and then uh, as a result, they repent, and they turn to Jesus, and they are baptized. There's this sense where he brings it all to a head in Luke chapter, uh, Acts 2, where he says in verse 36, both really ultimately is Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Is he both Lord and Christ? And that's where we ended last week, putting the ball in your court. And we looked at that, this, uh, the two ways to live. And you remember that idea where we talked about how you can take an action step for Max. And I believe there's still more in the back on the connect wall. Yeah, this is the two ways to live where we talked about how you can learn the gospel enough for yourself to be able to share it with someone else. And this is a wonderful six-step process that I found very helpful, both visually and with um, a variety of actual practical steps. So you can get a packet on the connect wall back there called an action step for Max. And you can get a few of these tracks, you can get a few of these ways to be able to kind of read through, study the gospel on your own, and you could walk somebody through in a restaurant or a coffee shop these six steps simply detailing the gospel message in a way that you can learn it, you can internalize it, that we need to preach it to ourselves each and every day, but also something that you can share with somebody else. And that's the beauty, the beauty of this. And, and so again, those are still available, and I'm, we're trying to make those available all through this series of Acts. Uh, And if you're able to take one, you can read it with your kids, you can study that through and talk through the gospel and perhaps pray about sharing that with a neighbor or somebody, co-worker that you have. We just wanted to put some tools in your hands. So that was really this kind of result. Peter preaches this message. Now, what's the action step? Go from this place, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And so that idea is kind of our role now that we take up that action step. And so as we, as we go from this place, as we share that message, as people are converted, as people, just a month or two ago, we baptized 14 people um, up there in the lake there, and it was just an amazing. At Winnemac, we, we did that, and then we're hoping to have another baptism in February. Already had a couple people asked about baptism, and so we'll walk through those steps. If you're interested in that too, you can talk to me or sign up online, but there's this response of repentance and salvation and then we ask the question ultimately well what what's next right like what now what do we do now and as I said ultimately Lawrence Anderson already stole my entire introduction but I was just going to ask the question why do you come to church right you know like he did it so wonderfully just why why are you here you know, in some ways, I, I'm preaching to the choir because you all are here today. But, but it is a sense where we, I believe it's important to ask that question. As, as you respond to the message of salvation, as you find that there is new life and the Spirit fills you with new love, there's new affections, there's new desires that start to be welling up inside of you, well, what's the next step? What do you do now? What, what's, what's next? And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is after this dramatic call for repentance and, and uh, redemption and this source of salvation and the Spirit comes, as we see people baptized in that Spirit and respond in water baptism, as we see this happen, immediately we see these people included into the group, included and welcomed into the church. That's the n- next logical step. And yet I do believe that that is important for us to grasp today because as we do often, as Lars Dennison did, as we often share, look, it is important to think about the things that we do on a regular basis and why we do them. Maybe in American culture still, there is still potentially an undergirding kind of foundational just 
Well, you're a Christian, you go to church. That's just what you do. But even that, that, that kind of cultural thing, that is becoming less and less the years, as the years go by, as our culture becomes less Christian in a sense, right? And so as we go further away from that, there isn't, and especially in New England, the least churched area of the country, especially in this place, in New England, in New Hampshire, what you're doing today, sitting in these seats, makes you very different. Now, some of you already know that. You're like, yes, I'm different, right? And the preacher might not tell you that too often, but I think I'm saying that as a positive thing. You are very different. You know why? Because on a Sunday morning at 11.17, which is the current time, you are sitting in a church. That puts you in like, I don't even know, but it's like the bottom 5% of the state. I mean, it, the, you, it is not a popular thing today. And I say that on purpose to get us to think through how radical and how different countercultural, what it is that you're doing right now and what it is that we're doing together in this place, what these other churches all around this area are doing right now. And to have a place that is full of life and people and children and, and, and all ages coming to a place to hear uh, what God would have and how and then to, to welcome together to worship God, that is a, that is a radically countercultural thing today and it always has been. But why do we do it? Is it just to be different? Why do we come to church? Why do we make it a priority for you, as was mentioned, for some of your parents dragging all the kids to church and trying to get them in? And then for some of you, uh, after I, I always joke about it when I come out afterwards, the, the dads who are swinging the baby, um, the, uh, baby care, the baby seats in the, in the back, right? And they get all the baby, and they can barely pay attention enough to be able to, and then the kids are crying, and it's like, what am I even doing here, right? You know? And I know those are seasons at times, or maybe perhaps you come and even you find yourself struggling to pay attention or struggling to follow this preacher who talks way too fast, okay, right? How do I track with this? It's over my head and I can't find the book. I don't know what we're talking about. And you might think to yourself, why do I waste all this time in some ways? Why do I put all this effort? What, what is it about coming to church in a physical place? Can't we just do church wherever we want, on our own, wherever I find myself to be? After all, I am the church, right? It's not a building, right? These are all kind of true statements, but what does it mean to actually be the church and come to church, to gather with a group of people? For in today's culture, there's so many different ways that you can gather with groups of people that will help feed that identity that you're looking for. Identity politics and group politics were all sorts of kinds of things today where you can find a group of people that will help be a community for you outside of the church. They'll help give you a sense of meaning and purpose and belonging. So what makes the church different than just some other group that I might join or some other social club that might give me a little bit of purpose and identity? Why is this church so important? And why would a preacher always encourage people to come to church, you know? Or is it just because us preachers and us pastors, that's what we do. We need you to come. So it strokes our ego or something, you know, right? Is that all we want is for you to come and listen and come to church, these kinds of things? Or is there something greater and deeper going on? Because really the entire book of Acts, it starts with this moment in Acts chapter two. And then we see the snapshot of the early church. And then the entire book of Acts is about this church that starts to spread like wildfire and it starts spreading all over the globe and we trace the different journeys of Peter and Paul, the preaching that they give, the founding uh, outpouring of the spirit upon the different groups as it spreads and we see the beginning stages of the church growing and growing and growing and the very end of Acts ends with Paul preaching the gospel message to someone in his, on house arrest there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we take up that same mantle and do the same thing today, almost 2,000 years ago, till today, right? And so it is that sense of I've repented, I believe, I've been changed, there's something new in my life, what do I do now? 
Well, there is that response of obedience. Yes, there's this action of a baptism maybe. There's an action of beginning to read your Bible on your own, seeking to figure out what prayer is and how difficult that can be for some of us. But, but then one of the main aspects of, of becoming a Christian, of believing in Jesus and following him is to join with others who do the same. For we are the visible expression of the body of Jesus here on earth. And so it is in us, as you're filled with that spirit coming together, publicly proclaims the body of Jesus Christ for the world. And we do that when we come to the table on communion. And we, we publicly proclaim the Lord's death until he returns as a people, one family of God, joining together in that faith. And so... These are just things that I've been thinking through of how we actually ask that question. Why is it that you're here today? Why is it that you seek to serve and, and help and to be involved? R.B. Kuyper, a Dutch theologian in the early 20th century, says this. It's, he says, it's clear that in the days of the apostles, it was the universal practice to receive believers into the visible local church, you could say. It's a possible that a true believer, because of some unusual circumstances, may fail to unite with the church. One may, for instance, believe in Christ and die before receiving baptism or joining a local church, of course, but such instances are exceptional. The scriptural rule is that while membership is not a prerequisite for salvation, we say this often, it is a necessary consequence of salvation. We'll say this in our discovery classes when speaking about membership and joining a church and being involved. It's this line. Membership is not prerequisite for salvation or, or joining a church is not prerequisite for salvation, but it is a necessary consequence of salvation. It is, a, it is a response out of what we are and who we are made to be now. And so the connection that we see in Acts 2 is just so clear. There is the pouring of the Spirit. There is a, 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 um, a salvation that is given and poured out, and then there is a change and there is a baptism, these things. And then there is immediate inclusion into a group of people that gather to then praise God and worship him on a regular basis. That is the process that we see in Acts 2 and throughout the church. And then it's this sense that we come together and we are one with one another. Membership or joining together in a group like this gives us this mutual ownership of one another. I belong to you and you belong to me. And we all belong together as members of the body of Christ. And when Jesus saves us individually, he immediately incorporates us into a group. That's a quote from Jerry Bridges. That was an original with me. But he says, when he saves us individually, he calls Jordan Modi, he called me and he saved me, but he does not push me out to be an individual to live isolated on my own, but he immediately takes my life singularly and incorporates me into a family, a family of God, a people that give me identity and purpose and meaning, but give me a place where I can then grow up from a young child and I can mature and grow up as a tree would and bear fruit. That's his design. This is not an afterthought. Uh, the church is not just some uh, afterthought of God. This was the plan all along. And I think that's something for us to recognize and remind ourselves. And, and yet, there are times when it is so easy to value anything and everything other than the church. COVID, if it taught us anything, and in the lockdowns and in the separation and when I stood in this building preaching to an empty room looking at a camera, okay? If it taught us anything, it was that we're not meant to be by ourselves. It's just, it, I mean, we can, we can do all kinds of things and pursue all kinds of things that, that, that are alternatives to being here on a Sunday morning, but but at its core, it is, we are not meant to be on our own and by ourselves. We are meant to gather. There's something about just several hundred people in this place singing, you're the lion and the lamb. Hearing not just my voice, but hearing the voices of all, hearing the voice of my little daughter singing those words. Hearing the voice of, of older men and women singing those, those songs and those words. There's something about the group the family of God, doing that together and expressing that together. And so with that, 
That's all an introduction, and some of you are like, goodness, okay, how will I? I will fly through some of these points today, but I did want us to just start there. I guess I, I want us to just think about these things. I don't want you to just come in here and be like, here's the sermon, here's the message, here's the thing, boom, I'm on my day. What are you doing here today? Why are we doing all this? Why is there preaching? Why is there singing? Why is there people gathered? Why is there Bibles open? Why all these things, right? Well, we see the beginning fledgling state of it, the, the portrait of an early church. Yeah, it looks a little different than our church today, but that's natural. That's what happens. In fact, the church elders, deacons, they're not mentioned here in the beginning, but this is just a beginning snapshot of what the church looked like, some of the DNA that was built into the church to make it look like what it does today. And so, let's look at this beginning. If you, if you follow along with the notes, we're gonna be asking several questions today. The, the first question is just, you know, what was the early church devoted to? As we see this in verse 42, they devoted themselves to what? What were they devoted to? The early church, the beginning, who's just experienced these massive, amazing things. What were they devoted to? This word devoted is a fascinating word. It, it is this ardent religious zeal. I use that word religion, and I know that word can be challenging for so many of us. This, this sense of religion in itself, is, the word religion has gotten trampled on a lot, and for just cause. This religious, legalistic requirement to just do without thinking, that's not what he's speaking of here. But the sense of a regular, habitual devotion to a faith is religion. <laughs> And so I understand here at Hope, I'll even tell you, it's about relationship, not religion. But there is a sense of religion that we come in here week by week. We habitually come in and sing songs. We repeat creeds that we memorize. We, we say the Lord's Prayer. We, we read the scripture. And week in, week out, it is very religious. And that is a good thing, and I believe that's okay. Because we're people of habit. We're people who need to be taught the same things over and over. How many times have I told you guys some of the same things over and over? My goodness, I've used some of the same illustrations over and over, and some of you never even know, right? Because nobody remembers what I preached on last month, right? Or last, no, but I, the point is this sense of there is a certain aspect of this religious devotion that we give to God, yet it should not be devoid of heart, life, or spirit. It is not cold and dead, but it is something working with our physical bodies, yeah, that we do, lift our hands, we stand up, we sit down, we get on our knees and pray. There are these things, right, that physically were bodies needing to hum, come into that. But Jonathan Edwards writes about this sense of devotion when he was witnessing some of the things that were going on in his day and time. He speaks about this religious affections, he writes this book called The Religious Affections. These holy affections which are spirit-led, spirit-driven that build up inside of us this new desire to be devoted to something that we weren't devoted to before. And perhaps some of you know what that's like. You remember what it was like for a time in your life when you were devoted to all sorts of things and the last thing on your mind was waking up on a Sunday morning and going to a church building, right? And singing songs, like that was not even on your mind or on your radar and yet here you are, right? And so there's this spirit-led revival in our life that ignites a flame that drives us to have our affections and our desires change. So now we actually find ourselves devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to joining together in the Lord's Supper and praying together as a team, as a family, as a church. And now I know that isn't the way it is all the time. There are times when it is a struggle. There are times when it's difficult. There are times when we don't necessarily maybe feel like, like we want to be here or whatever it might be. I remember, well, just yesterday, Saturday morning, we had a, my daughter's soccer game. <laughs> I, I'm coaching my daughter's soccer team, uh, U9 girls soccer, seven and eight-year-old girls soccer. It's intense, I'll tell you why, right? most intense coaching experience I've ever had. They don't always seem to share the same zeal for soccer that I have, and I'm often very confused by that. Uh, half the time, they're wanting to braid each other's hair or just talk to each other, do cartwheels on the side and in the middle of the game sometimes. So it's an exciting experience, but they do and they try hard. But yesterday morning, if you recall, it was a little chilly. 
9 a.m. on a Saturday morning to play soccer game. I'm there pumped and ready to go, but the girls were just like barely waking up, right? Sometimes that's maybe how you feel. You come into church just like, I don't know if I have the devotion for this again, right? I don't know if I have these affections and desire for soccer like this crazy guy does, right? And so you're trying to get people amped up. Let's go, team. Let's go. Let's play. Let's hard. And they did great, and the girls were awesome, and they did a fantastic job. I'm so proud of them. But I do think there are times in life where we find ourselves in that position, where do we find devotion to the things of God to be our central and sole priority? Many of you are living today in an affluent American lifestyle and a life, an affluent American culture. And there are constant alternatives uh, to what you are doing today. There are constant distractions pulling you away from what truly matters. And most of them aren't even really bad. It's just they compete for your attention. They compete for your time. They compete for your devotion, do they not? And so this devotion is a word that is important here. But what are they devoted to in the very beginning? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles here, preaching and teaching the word of God. The first example we see right there is Peter stepping up in Acts 2 and Acts 1, in fact, but Acts 1 and 2, preaching the word of God. This was central to the early church and has been central throughout the church since then. That's why on a Sunday morning, we come and we devote ourselves to teaching from the apostles' word, their words that are recorded here in the New Testament. We seek to then, as pastors, as elders, to preach and teach that word to you so that we can understand and learn. Learning is always and has always been at the core of the church, and it should be. It shouldn't be everything there is. The mind is not everything, but it certainly is nothing less than that, right, the church. Right? We, we often say this, maybe sometimes can be this anti-intellectualism where we don't want to think, we just need to feel everything. I think that in the spirit and in, and in the church, there's got to be a healthy balance between the head and the heart and the hands, should it not? A healthy church, I think, would, would balance those three things, that we are in, in, informing our minds, and yet we are also filling our hearts so that our hands can be active in love. I think when one supersedes the other, you get these extremes and you get the challenges and difficulties. So right at the beginning, they are devoted to teaching and likewise, the people, to learning. Learning and growing. Peter and the apostles, as they go out later, Paul being and speaking and preaching on behalf of God and then those words in a particular, capital A apostles, these apostles are literally writing the very words of scripture and the people recognizing that is, this is divine word from God sent to us, his church. That's an incredible, powerful thing. So that apostolic foundation is beginning to be laid right here. They're laying the groundwork. Jesus did the same. He preached and he taught. He spoke words that people learned. The disciples went to university seminary. How? For three years they sat under his teaching. Okay, it wasn't a seminary, but they followed him. He taught them. He, he instructed them. They learned. They asked questions. He, he gave parables. He explained things. And then he acted it out, and he taught them to do the same. The apostles are going to do the very same thing in the church. They're going to take the words of Jesus that are given to them, and they're going to lay that foundation for the church now to be built upon the very church that we have here that stands upon their foundation. Because that's what the word tells us, that the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and, the, and all of that as it goes on. Um, and so this idea, what are they devoted to? The apostles' teaching. What are they devoted to? The fellowship. We like this one around here. <laughs> Fellowship's kind of a big deal to us. Hope, fellowship, church, right? And often when we're trying to start on time over here, I'll make the joke. This is hope, no fellowship, church. This is hope, stop fellowshipping, church, right? This is hope, we have to start on time, and we never start on time. If you figured that out around here, that's just get used to it, right? I'm forced. It's taken me eight and a half years to get used to that. Uh, but now that's how it is, right? Because people enjoy fellowshipping together. That's a wonderful thing. That's really one of the main reasons we come together, and it should be. Hey, how you doing? How are the kids? Right? How are the Patriots doing? Terrible. I'm depressed, right? Like, hey, how you, can I help you with that? May I pray with you for the Patriots? No, don't. Okay, right? But these basic things, just normal life, that's okay. 
Talk about those things together. Make friends. Uh, But yet, I would also say fellowship is not just that. Fellowship is not just sharing coffee and talking about the sorry state of the Patriots currently, right? It is, there is a deeper sense of fellowship as well. The word is koinonia, right here that you have. The fellowship is koinonia. I've mentioned this many times over my years pastoring here, but this idea of koinonia, this fellowship is, yes, that. It is fellowship Sunday that we have in there with coffee, muffins, donuts, and nisu, right? Amen. Praise the Lord for Fellowship Sundays, right? But it is that, sharing food, but it is also sharing something deeper. It is sharing a connection that goes beyond just a mere social activity, and it goes into something, uh, not, not maybe more widespread, but I would say, yes, deeper as we're saying. It's friendship, something that you hang out with, but it's marriage, this sense that we are united together under the covenant here with one another through the Spirit. But it's, it's more than just in a marriage that you happen to live with someone else. There's something deeper that unites you, a love for one another and a covenant that binds you together. So it's more than that, right? Jerry Bridges says this in his book, True Fellowship. He's speaking of true fellowship being participation, partnership, Sharing are words used to convey this idea of biblical true fellowship. These are words of sharing. He says, think of it to mean to share together in the sense of joint participation and to share with in the sense of giving to others what we have. Two words used to help convey this are relationship and partnership. Those things together kind of make up fellowship. Yes, business partners come together to partner together in an endeavor. A business partner, I'm going to partner with you in order to accomplish a business objective. Christians partner together and they join together in this objective sense, but in a greater way to join together to complete the objective of glorifying God in a greater way than we could do apart. For when we come together, we can glorify God in a greater, more visible way than we could do apart. It's this active partnership through fellowship the promotion of the gospel among ourselves. And I will just say, and I'm not trying to just step on your toes, but it is difficult to be devoted to the fellowship when you never come to church. Right, and, that, and it's not, again, that's why we began with these questions. I'm not here as the pastor just to step on your toes because you missed last week or whatever. I don't even think those things through, okay? But, but we have to consider in our own lives, why do we come to church? Are you devoted to fellowship? Because it is awfully difficult to be devoted to true partnership, relationship, and fellowship when you are by yourself, isolated, and an individual. Well, I'll show up once or twice a year, or once a month, or when I have time and nothing else takes its place. Why? There will always be something that will take its place. And so unless it's a priority in your life, and we might get to that later, but that sense of priority in this manner that we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The other one we devote ourselves to is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, this sense, this word really is about the communion table. This was a term that was often used to describe a fellowship meal that was taking place, but often as it reflected the Lord's Supper. We do this the first month of every every month and different select occasions like Good Friday and such where we celebrate communion, this unity around a table, we break bread and we drink of the cup. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and we express the unity that the Spirit has with us all because we all join together in the same meal. Jesus said for us to do this, he laid down that example. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat, this is my body, right? This is his commands, his ordinance. So many would say in the church, at its very basic level, two ordinances that make up a church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. At least you could maybe add others, but that is at least the most foundational elements right there. And so the first Sunday of the month, we're gonna visibly gather and we're gonna take of the Lord's Supper together so that we can be developed uh, uh, and we're gonna preach and we're gonna fellowship and we're gonna take of the breaking of bread and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to be devoted to something else as well, prayer. Here, I love how it says, the prayers. In fact, that was often an activity. They would go to the temple and, and pray together. The rabbi would lead in prayers, reading of prayers in the Old Testament. And here at church, we do a variety of those kinds of things. That Every week, we have prayer and share, as we call it, but an elder will come and lead you in a devotional thought, something that God has been teaching them. 
and they will lead you in prayer. And, and whatever potentially God puts on his heart or potentially a list that's been given throughout the week where they can pray for you by name and on behalf of the entire congregation, everyone simultaneously in their minds and in their heart, lifting that person up before God. That is a powerful thing. I think we forget about the reality of that. The fact that I can look you in the eye, I know your name, and I can lift you up before God and everyone, four or 500 people in this building, can also do the same thing at the same time. That is extraordinary. Yet there is also an aspect of prayer that is in a prayer closet on your own. It is an isolated event in some sense where we do, the word would say, get alone in your closet and pray before your Father in heaven, not looking for the adulation and the congratulation of praying in front of people and looking for the attention that it might mean, it might bring, but just get alone and pray to God. Pour out your heart before him. List people before him. Lay them before his feet and say, Lord, do you see them? Help them. We pray for Israel. We pray for a variety of situations. We pray for all kinds of things that are going on in the world. We pray for needs and we pray for our own beloved loved ones, perhaps it might be. And so that, there's so much more I could say on here, but I'm gonna keep moving. It's preaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. These are at least four elements that ought to be present in every church. How that looks exactly may look different, okay? But those things are at least central in what we see. Then if we fly through some of these other points, essentially we're asking these questions as we walk through this passage is, what else is there? What, what caused the early church to uh, go to church, really go, gather? What were they devoted to? And then what caused the early church to be filled with wonder and fear? Why were they filled with awe? If you look at the next verse, then awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And it's pretty neat because next week I'm going to focus more on this because we have a wonder, a sign that is done. A blind, uh, sorry, a lame beggar is healed in a miraculous way. And there's the sign of the power of the Holy Spirit with the apostles. And that is demonstrated before all. And wonder and fear, the word there is awe, that is displayed before all. So there is this spirit-filled wonder in a church that ought to be present, that ought to be there in a healthy church. These wonders and signs that are happening through the apostles are being done in such a way where it is a sign of what? What is it a sign? It says wonders and signs. A sign of what? A sign of the power of God that is present in this place. Power of Jesus. That though Jesus has gone, he is continuing to work in his church now. And he's doing that through the apostles. What an extraordinary statement. It'd be one thing if Jesus came and died and he was buried in the grave and then we just talked about the good old days all the time versus Jesus actually being alive now and his spirit living within us now and the church being alive now, right? That is what we're speaking of. It is this, this power of Jesus that is now with his church in the apostles working out through them through these extraordinary moments, these miracles that are being wrought. And we'll look at that again, like I said, in Acts 3 in an extraordinary way. And so these are foundational, extraordinarily foundational to lay and set. I would also say to verify that Jesus is alive. And you know how we know that? Because look at what he's doing in his church. And look what he does in chapter three through the lame beggar that is healed who rises up and walks, right? Look at that. Jesus did that. I'm preaching the message for next week, but Jesus did that in the Gospels. Now, Peter does the same here in Acts 3. What an extraordinary connection. It connects that same power that is living in us, right? It rose Jesus from the dead, lives in us, this idea. So it is done through the apostles. And we see that in other places in Acts 3. So the next one is this unified, generous gathering. We see as we move on to this, this idea, these unified, generous gatherings is something that is present in the early church. They, look at this, verse 44. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, they were distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And it goes on. The sense of they were together. Again, harping on what we just described earlier. Why do we come to church? Well, so that we can be together. So we can be together. We're not meant to be isolated or inter, uh, dependent, not dependent on one another. We're meant to be interdependent, truly connected to one another and dependent on each other. And that can be really hard for us New Englanders. We don't like to be dependent on anybody else. We are New Hampshire, 
live free or die. Amen, right? Right? You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> now in the church, I'm going to come and I'd be dependent on other people. I got to submit to elders and deacons. This is a weird world to step into, right? I got to submit my life to Jesus. What does he know? Don't you know who I am, right? That's how we do in our lives so often as we battle and wrestle with these things. And yet, then we not only depend on one another, but we give to one another. We give to the church so that the church can give out to the needs of everyone. Look at this. They had all things in common. And they were selling their position, possessions and belongings, and they were giving to another. If you look over at Acts chapter 4, you could turn with me to Acts 4, verse 32. Let me read this. We won't be getting this for a couple of weeks, but it is very similar to the statement we're reading because it's kind of a pattern that's repeated. Verse 32 of Acts 4 says, Now the full number of those who had believed were of one heart and soul. No one uh, said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You see that word common? And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the grace was upon them all. Verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them. Wow. There was not a needy person among them. Wow. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's Joseph and others It talks about this idea. And then we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira happen in Acts chapter 5. But this story is, is a beautiful depiction of a unified people gathering together in one spirit, yet being generous and not clutching everything that this is mine, I earned it, and you can't have it. You're in need? Well, tough luck, buddy. Right? No, a sense of an open-handedness. Everything God has given to me, I will pray about whatever he desires to, for that to be passed on to someone else. And this is no, 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 no. Unfortunately, lately these days, these verses and these passages have, have been twisted in order to say communism and socialism is the only way to go because nobody can own private property, which is foolishness because later on it says they met in their own homes, so they had to own the home to meet in it. I just won't go to all this. I read too many of these ridiculous articles online saying that any private ownership of anything is wrong. That is wrong. That's not true. But what it was is that they did not clutch onto those businesses and those lands and to their homes as if they were only theirs, but they shared them with all. They welcomed people in, and he sold their possessions. They distributed the needs. Here at the church, we have people who give generously week in and week out. And there is a team of deacons that one of the jobs of the deacons is to take in funds that come in and to pray about seeking to minister with those funds the mercy of God to people who are poor, people who are widows, people who are out on their luck, lost their job, in the hospital, in need. They pray about and meet needs week in and week out at this church that happen that many of us don't even know about until you've actually been ministered to by one of them in extraordinary ways. And it's a beautiful thing to give to the church and to see that go out through generous ways to the community. Yes, people even outside of our church are receiving benefit of that. But also the people, particularly here, who need, they are, those needs are being met. My own life has been that way, as many of you have given generously to me and my family when we were in need. To, to support, the, many of you have bills, many of you have difficulty, winter's coming, how do you pay this, how do you, the church is here to help. We don't run to big brother all the time, right? Come to the church, allow us to help you, help us to work with you through these things. There are many people who would love to help and that's what I see happening in our church on a regular basis and I probably don't highlight that enough and it's a beautiful thing. So the other aspect is not only in that, in the generous giving, there's a transformed lifestyle rhythm, there's a transformed lifestyle and we won't get into this too much but the sense of day by day, look at this, what was the regular life of the early church look like? Look verse 46 and 47. Day by day, they're attending the temple together. They're breaking bread in their homes. Here, this has more of the sense of just a meal together in their homes, but they receive their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's this, this picture, quickly, just to remind ourselves. There's this sense of, of a daily living. What was the lifestyle like? What, what was the lifestyle of these new believers, of these new early church? Well, they met in public. They went to the temple, and they publicly proclaimed together, and they worshiped, and they went through, yes, religious weekly um, uh, services, and they met publicly, and they gathered together. 
And yet they also didn't just meet in public, they met in private. They had people over for dinner. <laughs> they, well, they practiced hospitality and they shared in fellowship together in their homes. And that happens here every week. That happens in many of your lives. Yes, we meet, gather on a Sunday, but throughout the week there's groups, small groups, there's places where people can gather in smaller places. And then in those places, they were sharing with one another their needs, but also sharing their food together over a meal. And they're joining in a community and their hearts were full of gladness. And it even says that other people in the community were blessed because of it. That the church was an actual blessing to the community around them. That the people, they were having favor with the people in the area and in their community. Their lifestyle sung the worship of God and that love poured out into their community. And that, I pray, is what Hope Fellowship is about. That's what I pray that our church would continue to be. That's what I pray that your home would be in whatever neighborhood it is. It would be a blessing to those people around it, that they would know there's something different about those people. There's something attractive about those people that I, 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 I'm missing in my life. I wonder what that is. And so do our lifestyles and our rhythms of our life, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like our, your lifestyle. You're like, I, lifestyle, what are you talking about? What is it you value? What do you spend your money on? Where do you spend your time? These kinds of things reflect something about what we believe, do they not? <laughs> Where is it that we're gonna spend our time? Where is it we're gonna pour our energy? What is it that we're going to pursue with our lifestyle? That really says something about what we truly value from within. And so a spirit-filled church and a spirit-filled people are people who are filled with that spirit, who seek to just be almost like magnets, be drawn together, to seek to gather together, to praise God. Look at it. They are, in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's a beautiful thing. And I love it. And it's hard to talk about this and that's just because I'm a pastor and it's hard to separate myself from the fact that this is a job and I understand that. But I do love the fact that when my daughters are learning their days of the week, they, they often like, I don't know how many times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's a week, right? But they're always like, what day is it? And then what, what's tomorrow, right? They, they live completely uh, uncaring about what the next day is. So they're always asking, what day is today? What are we doing tomorrow, right? And I love it. It's like, well, what are we doing today? Well, it's Monday, honey. We're going to go to school. You know? What are we doing today? It's Tuesday. We're going to go to school. What's well, Friday? Oh, it's that. Well, we have the weekend coming, right? What are we doing tomorrow? Saturday. Well, we're going to do some chores around the house, and then we're going to yada, yada, yada. Well, what do we do tomorrow? Well, tomorrow's Sunday. And that's the Lord's Day. And, and we're going to go to church. And my kids sometimes call it, maybe it's just because, again, I'm a pastor, but they call Sunday church day, you know. What's, what's tomorrow? Well, tomorrow's church day, right? Because they just know it's ingrained in them. That's what we do. It's just what we do. And so I think it's in that priority that we set, especially with our children. For if church and if faith and if belief in Jesus is not a priority for us, I can almost guarantee you that it will not be a priority for the next generation. And if it's just casual for them, it will be non-existent for the generation after them. It is a clear depiction of how that legacy is passed to your next generation. It is something in which that priority is set by you fathers and by you mothers in your home to make faith a priority for your children. And I don't know what that means for you, and I'm not here to say, we're counting how many Sundays you are in church. Absolutely not, 100%. I don't even think of those things half the time. But it's a sense of what does that mean for you? What is that going to mean to you? And again, for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, you're here at church this morning and all these kinds of things. But I'm speaking to myself as well, for this does at times become a job, and I have to be careful of that personally. Am I just here preaching to you because this is my job? Or is this something that God has called me to do and I cannot do because this is my act of obedience to you today, being here and doing my best to give and deliver God's word to you. And ultimately, at the end of all this, the beauty of this is that we give it up to God because we've talked a lot about doing and yes, responding and obedience and acting and being devoted to something, but at the end of the day, what I love is the undergirding thing that's going on here is at the end of the day, it really isn't up to us. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's really about God and his power to add 
to the church and to build his church. Do you guys see that in this last verse? This is the last verse and we're gonna close in prayer here. It says, verse 47, this praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at this, the Lord added to their number day in and day out those who were being saved. The Lord welcomed people in and added to their church and built his church, spread the church, planted new churches, drove Paul to go to, out to Macedonia and then out to Europe and all over the places, drove Thomas, as it said, to go out to India, drove uh, Philip, I think it was, down to Ethiopia and other places, go to, to all these places where the gospel would be spread. It's like, this was the Lord and his movement and his power using his church to spread his loving gospel message for all who would be saved. For the Lord will bring the increase some water, some plant, some water, some harvest, right? And today we, we get to know that ultimately God is behind it all. I don't have to twist your arm to come to church. I don't have to twist your arm to read God's word. I don't have to twist your arm and convince you. No, the spirit of God will do that for you. We are just faithful with what we know. We are faithful with what we have. We have an open hand, and we have a core devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. We have a spirit-filled wonder and awe for the working and the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit, even today within this church. We have a unified, generous gathering where we come in unity through the bond of peace, and we are generous with what God gives us to be simply good stewards of the blessing he's poured out in my life. Let me bless someone else today possibly with that. And then we change our lifestyles to look different than everyone else. Our lifestyles are transformed. As a Christian, we do prioritize things that other people don't. And that's the way it should be because day by day, the lifestyle changes in public and private. And then, and then ultimately, at the end of the day, God will give the increase. We look to him. We look to his power, it's his ability. This is a portrait of a church. Yes, fledgling, beginning, it's not everything that's here, but this is the DNA of the beginnings of the church. And I pray that that DNA also exists within our hearts and in this church for centuries to come until he returns. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this. We ask God that you would, yes, encourage us today, you would also challenge us today. God, that we'd be moved today. We'd be moved to action that when we leave this place, something would be different. Knowing, God, that you give the increase all along. Knowing, God, that we don't have to manufacture anything. God, knowing that even when I stumble and fail or when I don't explain things properly, God, that you're gonna, you're gonna not let your word return void. Father, that your life is with us. Thank you for every single person here today. Thank you, God, that you know their name. And thank you, God, that you have called them. Perhaps there are some today that you are calling even now. You're calling them to answer the call of Peter. Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? And Father, I pray for that today, that our church would be built upon that, a message of your gospel, and that ultimately, at the end of the day, you would be our King of kings. You would be the King overall. We praise you today for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.